Veterans make up about one-third of the federal workforce. One of them is a 24-year Army veteran, now Deputy Secretary of the Homeland Security Department. John Tien tells Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco about his own Army experiences and about the department's initiatives for recruiting and retaining more former service members. I served in the United States Army for 24 years. Through 2011, I did three combat tours in Iraq and also was a policy advisor in the Bush and Obama administrations for Iraq, Afghanistan, and Pakistan as well. So uh, lots of time uh, with the military and proud to now serve in the Department of Homeland Security, where our missions, uh, and our mission is to, with honor and integrity, to safeguard the American people, our homeland, and our values, very aligned to my uh, former motto from the United States Army, this will defend. You know, I think we know that a good portion of the federal workforce are veterans themselves. I think it's about a third or so. And I believe that's about the the same for the Department of Homeland Security. So can you just tell us a little bit about what you know of the veteran population within DHS? Yeah, we're at the Department of Homeland Security. We're really proud And I'm certainly personally proud as a U.S. Army veteran that over 25% of our uh, DHS workforce are veterans. And by the way, we are committed to growing that number even more. In fact, we've got a DHS veterans recruitment, retention, employment strategic plan that guides our work across, I would say, three overarching goals. One, recruit and hire a diverse veteran workforce. Two, retain veterans through uh, various wellness and resiliency programs, and three, reinforce our commitment to veterans by creating new resources for them. And we do this through a Veterans Resource Center, which is similar to other big organizations, but we have an internal one-stop shop that helps address any of our veterans' workforce most pressing questions. Uh, from both our new employees, the ones we're, or the ones we're recruiting, and the ones that are onboarded uh, to make sure that they are transitioning well into the DHS workforce as well. Super excited about the fact that we're at 25% of the workforce and the fact that we're growing it and we've got a great program to do so. Got it. So just hoping we can go through that plan, those three points a little bit more specifically there. Can you tell me about the recruitment efforts that you have specifically geared toward veterans? How are you reaching that population in particular and explaining the Homeland Security mission to them. Yep. So one of the things that we do is, again, as I said before, we advertise to across the different veterans communities that are out there. So these are folks who are looking to recruit. The fact that we have this Veterans Resource Center, that is really important, I think, for veterans who are looking and they're considering whether they're already in the federal government or they're looking to get in the federal government. They want to know that there's other veterans that when they join an organization, when they join DHS, that they are going to be amongst folks who know what they've been through, that they have a community, and that they're going to get supported. We also have something called the DHS Veterans Employment Council, uh, which provides leadership recommendations and assistance in the development of all of our different departmental uh, veterans-related programs. And then you had specifically said, you know, how are we getting out there and doing things uh, and how are we finding folks? We've actually established uh, memorandums of understanding with the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense to help service members and veterans who are out there, especially in the VA, connected to them to transition them to civilian positions within the Department of Homeland Security. And that's um, all of those different things really help get veterans into the door, get them educated about the Department of Homeland Security and our mission. And then if all goes well, 
they come on board and they're a colleague with me, that another veteran to another veteran. What about the uh, retention piece? You mentioned some resources, some resiliency efforts to you know try to ensure that the folks that you have on board who are veterans want to stay at the department. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, it's a number of different things that we try to do. Number one, we want to try to identify that the veteran who's coming in says that they are a veteran, they acknowledge that they're a veteran, because in that, that allows us to say, okay, here are some of the different things that you can do. You can become part of our Veterans Resource Center. You can join our Veterans Employment Council. I just spoke to all of our veterans who happen to serve in uh, FEMA, and when they understand that there's these organizations that are uh, essentially an internal community, they join there, and then it's sort of reinforcing to that. And I think that just helps them consider and understand that there is a place that I can go as a veteran if I need some help in, in terms of just being a veteran, in particular about being a veteran in the uh, federal workforce, and in particular about even more so a veteran here at Department of Homeland Security. And we really see that being a part of the strong retention efforts that we have here. And to expand the question just a, a bit broader, to just broader DHS employee engagement efforts, I know this has long been a priority for the department. In fact, a couple years ago, we spoke to one of the predecessors for your job, now your boss, Secretary Mayorkas, about his interests in this area. And just wondering if you can speak about just broader engagement efforts that you have going on to include veteran employees, but maybe even beyond that. Secretary Ali Mayorkas and myself were great partners in the focus on veterans. We just participated in a really fun event here where we honored this week the Marine Corps' 246th birthday. That's always on November 10th. That's the Marine Corps' birthday. The uh, Secretary spoke very eloquently about his respect for the Marines, in particular about his respect for military service, and really honored all of us veterans here at the Department of Homeland Security. Now, one of the things that Secretary Mayorkas did prior to becoming the deputy, he was also the head of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. And he recommended to me, he said, John, one of the first things that I think you should try to do is get out there and do a naturalization ceremony with uh, either active duty or the veterans. And I did that on Monday in New York City, where out of the uh, 80 folks that we brought in as uh, new U.S. citizens, 22 of them were serving in the U.S. Army or Marines, uh, Marine Corps, or the Air Force. And what an honor it was to stand there, raise the right hand, read them their oath, and uh, bring them in as fellow U.S. citizens. 22 of them, all of them in uniform. Deputy Homeland Security Secretary John Tin speaking with Federal News Network's Nicole Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, w- WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. SMS text, 1118 AM. Hey girl, emergency. You wouldn't believe what just happened. Are you at your desk? I ripped my skirt and like half my tush is hanging out. Third floor bathroom, please help. LOL. When you send messages on SMS, someone else could be reading them. With end-to-end encryption, WhatsApp ensures that your personal messages are your personal messages. WhatsApp, always message privately. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.